Your call did not go through. Please try your call again. 078-P. We're sorry. The number you have reached, 99.5 WBAI, is now off the hook. Other cool noises I can make. Uh, there's, there's all sorts here on this board. Wow. Um, okay. Be I, gentle. I, I think I think we have it. I think we have it. Uh, this is a fly by the seat of your pants show. In case you haven't already figured that out, um, it's off the hook. We're back after two weeks, and um, we are doing a one-hour show tonight. No uh, overtime. Um, because we are in the middle of deadlines and all sorts of other fun activities that it's pretty much taking all of our time. And um, we're not entirely sure we're on the air. Rob, you're going to occasionally have to give us a thumbs up to tell us that because we're having some uh, some trouble with our app that uh, we don't usually have. But, um, yes, uh, Rob T. Firefly over there in Skype land. Um, Good evening. Say hi to the folks. And uh, is Gila not here tonight? I don't see her. She is away on assignment. Today. Oh, okay. All right. I was not informed. Uh, Kyle is over here in Master Control, uh, patching things together that insist on becoming unpatched. Yes, I think there's some voltage, actually, that um, I'm connecting with each arm. So. I've noticed that you're, you're shaking up and down. The current is going through I me. I assume that's, that's a pleasant yeah. sensation. No, we're holding it together, yeah. If you need to be uh, pushed aside, let me know. Uh, and, uh, Alex, um, you are in a different place. Where are you? I, I am indeed, and good evening and uh, good morning from Tel Aviv. I am in Israel this week, so uh, hello, everybody. Well, that's different. Usually you're in Pennsylvania, and now you're over in Tel Aviv. Yes, that's, that's quite yeah, a thing. Yeah, Pennsylvania or New York, but uh, Tel Aviv, you know, uh, all wonderful places. Uh-huh. And uh, what time of the day is it there now? It is 2.05 in the morning. Oh, Sorry. mercy me. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty late here. 
Uh, I'm probably I'm not going to be able to stay on the entire uh, show. I apologize, guys. I'm probably going to drop off in 15, 20 minutes or so because I got a very early morning and I I, uh, I just wanted to join. I don't think we've ever had anybody on from Israel, right? Uh, I'm sure we've had callers, but I don't think any of our actual correspondents have have been on. Um, live from Israel. Wow. So that's that's unique. Um, tell us, you know, I've yeah. never been, uh, but I know that it's it can be rather, um, uh, how shall I say it, uh, confrontational visiting um, Israel. They ask you all sorts of uh, uh, questions and sometimes interrogate you. Did you have to go through that? It wasn't too bad at all. I mean, I I flew in via London, um, and I'll tell you this: I had a much worse time with the security people at Heathrow. Because you have to deplane and then go through security again before I switch planes to get onto uh, another four-hour flight to uh, to Tel Aviv, uh, and that was actually much much worse. And in fact, I even made an official complaint about how badly I was treated by the security personnel at Heathrow when I got to Tel Aviv. I mean, it was a little bit of an interrogation as I was uh, showing my passport to the uh, border control. Apparently, I was supposed to have some other card with me that I was supposed to get, you know, like half a mile earlier in when I was walking from the plane, and I had no idea, so they asked me all kinds of questions and said, no, it's not a big deal, it's not your fault, don't worry about it, uh, you know, and then is this, uh, is this your first time in Israel? And I said, yes, it is. And I said, well, you know, welcome to Israel. Uh, and I have to say, it's been an absolute delight to be here. I'm, I'm here for work, not for pleasure, um, but it is a pleasure to be here for work. And it's been uh, it's been really really great. I've been meeting with lots of uh, tech companies, lots of clients, lots of uh, fellow lawyers. And Tel Aviv is a really awesome, vibrant city. And as you can imagine, they've been uh, very attentive to the World Cup over the last couple of days. Uh, well, yes, not because of uh, Israel, but probably because of Morocco yeah. uh, and uh, the the, yes. uh, the the great support that um, Morocco has in the Arab world, including the Palestinian territories. So uh, yeah, that, there's there's been quite a uh, quite a bunch of uh, celebration over there for the uh, remarkable achievement that Morocco has um, has has achieved <laughs> this this year. Um, and there was an update today, but we're not going to get into that in case people haven't seen the game yet. So uh, I don't want to give away anything for those people. Uh, Rob, looks like you have something. Uh, no, I, I don't actually. I'm not in Israel, and I'm not doing anything that interesting. But I'm just glad to hear that uh, is really nice over there. <laughs> They're very punny, very punny. Is this going to be happening all hour? That's, uh, yeah. Okay, well, you know, on, on the subject of air travel, um, I saw this story uh, come by this week that um, I, I thought was interesting and, and something that we've talked about way in the past. Um, headline uh, being, uh, the TSA, this is from the Washington Post, the TSA now wants to scan your face at security. Yeah. Uh, next time you're at airport security, get ready to look straight into a camera. The TSA wants to analyze your face. They've been quietly testing controversial facial recognition technology for passenger screening at 16 major domestic airports from Washington to uh, Los Angeles, and they hope to expand it across the United States as soon as next year. Kiosks with cameras are doing a job that used to be completed by humans, which is checking the photos on travelers' IDs to make sure they're not imposters. Now, you know, we warned about this years ago. I, I don't know if uh, people remember, but um, the situation was when you enter the country from other places, U.S. citizens were not required to have their, their uh, picture taken or to look into a camera or anything like that. Uh, people from other countries, though, were. Uh, 
And um, we were very clear in saying that, you know, one day they're going to uh, try and change that and make it so that U.S. citizens also have to stare into a camera. I mean, they're not going to be able to resist this. Now, it's not in the same place. It's not as you're entering the country. It's actually as you are um, boarding planes with TSA. Uh, but the idea is certainly the same. And uh, what they are basically trying to do is is use that facial recognition, the same facial recognition, by the way, that has been banned by cities such as San Francisco. Um, they claim it um, it helps improve security, possibly also efficiency. I mean, what what couldn't improve efficiency with the TSA? Um, it's also bringing an unproven tech with civil rights ramifications. We still just don't understand to one of the most stressful parts of travel. I'm not sure what the Washington Post means by that. <laughs> I think we understand it pretty well, you know, civil rights ramifications, having your, your, your picture taken every time you get on an airplane. Now, they say they're not going to keep this um, information. They say they're going to uh, purge it after a short period of time, but I don't think anybody really believes that. Thoughts? Yeah, well, uh, facial recognition is, uh, it's, it's a trivial matter these days to, from any picture of somebody's face, just, uh, quickly identify them, match it to social media, match it to pictures, uh, floating around anywhere. So, um, it's, it's well and truly, um, the implications to your privacy are there. It is not imaginary. And, yeah, it, it it's, uh, I think it was an inevitability once they started doing this for their own, uh, citizens that they would do it for, for the citizens of other countries. One thing I think. Sorry. Excuse me. Sorry, I hit the wrong button. Sorry, um, it's a bad day for me. I understand. The uh, thing that occurred to me is that as soon as it's deemed a success, how many other things will this be an attractive solution for? Right, like it's packaged nicely with all these uh, caveats of, oh yeah, we'll get rid of this. I mean, that's just something easy to say. Uh, but as you said, not necessarily how it might play out if it becomes profitable maybe to uh, offload this uh, photo data and stuff. And and it, and with what interest would it be over time, like tracking how people's uh, features change? I, I do think that one of the things that you should read in between the lines there also with um, the way it's described as very accurate, read that it's very accurate for what, it, what it's been tuned for, which is, you know, white... <laughs> Uh, uh, males and so forth or, or, you know, a very narrow range and it's deemed successful, but, um, you know, across the board, that's a pretty tall, that's a grand claim. And there's been examples of how this, um, uh, this type of technology has fallen short, um, uh, uh, identifying different people of color, et cetera. So examples like that, um, uh, should be front of mind when you hear, oh, it's, uh, super successful. And then, um, you know, extend out to uh, whatever those error rates will be um, times however many people are subjected to it. And you've got a lot of people that are misidentified or or um, uh, lost to this system in some way or, or flagged unnecessarily, causing all kinds of costs and time. Um, so the, the package and the PR is always meant to be appealing, but... Uh, the implementation, the um, stuff that you know uh, deeper than the surface is uh, is where we're we're um, really needing to get more details and and uh, keep on as the story goes. Alex, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah, Alex. I, I, as usual, I will uh, 
I'll play a bit of devil's advocate here because, um, but but let me preface it by saying that, look, I, I I don't believe that this is a good idea. I think it's of questionable uh, efficiency and efficacy in, in terms of what it's going to do. Uh, but I I don't see it as being all that intrusive. Other you know over and above what already happens at borders and airports anyhow. I mean, you know that if it's if you're traveling. Uh, on a plane, you're going through some kind of border. You're dealing with TSA. They've already got your boarding ticket. They've already they already know your destination. They already know where you're coming from. You're already on CCTV throughout the entire airport, you know, up until the very moment when you get onto that plane. And so, I mean, your face is going to be captured one way or another. So, in in one sense, however, you could say, all right, well, then this is some kind of de minimis. Uh, privacy intrusion, but on the other hand, you could say, well, then what's the point? You're already on CCTV throughout an entire airport and can be tracked entirely through it. And the other thing to think about as well is any time you go through the Holland Tunnel or enter Manhattan from, from pay a toll, your photo is being taken by some kind of camera that's being operated by the government. It may not be TSA, but it's, it's somebody else. So it, it doesn't sound like a great idea, but relative to everything else that's happening and the, the massive surveillance dragnet in which we already live, I don't know if it's such a big deal. Well, I mean, you can stick a paper bag over your head as you drive through the Holland Tunnel, but they take a dim view of that at the airport. <laughs> yes. I'm just, just laying it out. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, that's true. That's true. I know, but they, I guess you need to poke holes for your eyes if you're driving. Is Something that like that, do? yeah. Go ahead, Rob, then Kyle. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think a problem with this is... Um, you know, beyond the personal uh, privacy issues, which uh, I agree, when you're when you're traveling by air, um, your documents are out there and they're scanned every step of the way anyway. But um, the technology, as we've often talked about on this program, and Kyle, you touched on this, is that the technology isn't great for everyone. It doesn't work as well on everybody. And uh, when it comes to people being misidentified by this, um, that's a concern. What if you look too much like somebody they're looking for for some reason? Um, what if you're from a culture who wears uh, head coverings, face coverings, whatever? Um, this is this uh, this has the danger of becoming one of those technical things that the authorities put a bunch of faith in and insist must be correct and haul you away when you're not supposed to be uh, hauled away. Again, I, I would go to my first point that you know once it's deemed a success and commercialized. Who then is selling it and what kind of controls and what kind of scrutiny and what kind of say does the public have? Because when it becomes the assassin app and um, it's being trained and used by individuals to kill people and they hit the wrong person and then they don't get paid for the job. Wait, wait, assassination app? Yeah, what? I thought that's where this was going. I don't have that. Hold on. What do you use, Android or is, is it? It's a, a Flappy Bird upgrade. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll talk about this after the show. But uh, wow, uh, yeah, no, you raise a good point. It's awfully embarrassing when they when they uh, hit the wrong people. They've, yeah, they have a reputation. They do that to keep quite a bit. And, uh... But you know, there's one aspect to this story that um, I don't think anybody really caught. Uh, I, I, I sort of made reference to it, but uh, it, it slipped by very quickly. Um, 60, this is being um, um, uh, tested out at uh, 16 major domestic airports. Domestic airports, we're not talking about international flights. We're talking about domestic flights. We're not talking about borders. We're talking about just waiting in line at the TSA. Do you remember, a few years ago, not that long ago, you didn't need to have picture ID to take a domestic flight. But now, not only do you need domestic, uh, um, um, picture ID to get, take a domestic flight, 
But now you're being pressured to um, have have your uh, image scanned and compared and entered into a big database. So, yeah, it's changed. Things have certainly changed quite a bit. And this is a, a step up from what you might encounter entering a different country. This is literally a commuter flight from one place to another being tracked. You know, yeah, you, you, you're on CCTV, but all of your information isn't on CCTV. You know, your your uh, driver's license number or the exact time that you were at this particular place, what flight you were on. Look, some people are good with that. Some people have no problem being tracked everything they do. Maybe it helps them keep track of what they were doing. But we should at least know when we're being tracked. And here's another example of people being tracked and the tracking system expanding. Are you guys surprised at all by this? Not so much. Uh, I'm wondering if this is uh, connected to the fact that um, here in New York, we were going, we were looking at uh, new requirements for real ID, um, even when flying domestically, that uh, you would have to show a license that was basically the extended dance remix of, uh, of a driver's license or state ID. And uh, that deadline kept getting pushed forward and forward, and uh, it's just recently been pushed forward again. Yeah. Uh, well, the way the system works, um, basically, you, you um, step up to the travel document checker kiosk, stick your ID into a machine, then you look into a camera for up to five seconds, and the machine compares your live photo to the one it sees on your ID. They call this a one-to-one verification system, comparing one face to one ID. Uh, even though the software is judging if you're an imposter, there's still a human agent there to make the final call, at least for now. Um, they say it's pretty accurate. They say it um, doesn't matter if you change your hairstyle. Um, but there are certainly concerns. Um, Albert Fox Kahn is the founder of Surveillance Technology Oversight Project. That spells stop, by the way. It's really cool. Uh, I am worried that the TSA will give a green light to technology that is more likely to falsely accuse black and brown and non-binary travelers and other groups that have historically faced more facial recognition errors, speaking to Kyle's point. Uh, research has shown facial recognition algorithms can be less accurate at identifying people of color. A study published by the Federal uh, National Institute of Science and Technology in 2019 found that Asian and African American people were up to 100 times more likely to be misidentified than white men, depending on the particular algorithm and type of search. <laughs> so nothing changes, you know. It's, uh, the racism just gets uh, digitized and... Um, and, and, and we have to live with that. Uh, this is a voluntary system, though. This is something that you can opt out of. Uh, if you are someone who opts out of it, of course, then you have to go through an alternative uh, um, way of being checked. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it's another step. Yes, Alex? I, I, I just realized that the, the point of this was to, to match it with the ID. I did, I'm sorry if I missed that earlier, but... It would, given that's the, the stated purpose of this, I think two comments that I would have. Number one, I have less of a problem with it because if this is a, a human function that's already being done, whenever you are about to enter you know, the, the, uh, you know, the portion of the airport where you need a ticket, somebody looks at your ticket, looks at your ID, looks at your face, tells you to take off your mask, tells you to take off your hat, tries to match your face to the ID, and what they're doing is, is essentially making this some kind of automated process. It might have errors associated with it because these things aren't perfect. But if it speeds up that process, then I'm all for it. Well, let me I'm ask you this. Let me ask you a question, Alex. Okay. Um, you've been you've been to bars, right? 
and you've had to yeah. show your, your ID to get into a bar, are you the type yep. of person that would cry foul if the bartender, uh, not bartender, <laughs> the bouncer at the door took your, your license and, um, and, and read it through some kind of card reader? Would you have a problem with no, that? I, well, no, okay, I, most I, people I, do I have a problem with that. No. <laughs> I found somebody who doesn't no. have a problem, but most people say, no, that's where I draw the line. You can see my ID. You can, you can, you can prove that I'm over 21, but if you're going to start taking my, my name and my information and saving it someplace without my knowledge, that is too much. Well, you, you anticipated my on-the-other-hand comment, though. And so, so, so on-the-other-hand, if if the purpose, the stated purpose of this is to match a person with their, uh, is no. I'm sorry, you got to take that. For, let's say Alex, take that line hours. again. Uh, you got you got uh, kind of garbled there. Just. Oh, if, if the stated purpose is to match a face with an ID, then there's absolutely no reason why TSA should be holding onto this data for more than 24 hours, or maybe even less than that. And, you know, that's what I would like to see to see happen. If they're going to try to automate a process, that they have to do it in a way that, that really respects the, the privacy of the citizens here. And by destroying that data, we can be assured that it's not going to be misused. That's, so, what, that's know, what the original kiosks were like, I, I believe. They just, yeah, they just yeah, printed it on the receipt, you know? And yeah. from what I read about how that worked, it just it was on the machine and then that was it. You would, And then they would compare the data with the receipt and then the ID. So this is kind of putting the ID against the algorithm, and then they compare it at the end. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's like, an evolution. Well, the TSA well, uh, says they're not going to use this, this facial uh, recognition. They may affect Asian people. And <laughs> Hang on, you're going to have to take that again, Alex, if you are delayed oh. and garbled. Oh, sorry. I I don't know what's going on here, but um, in any event, I probably should go to bed soon. But, you know, I, I think there are going to be errors here, and it'll probably fall more on Asian people and brown people. Uh, but, you know, hopefully that's, you know, that's just a technical problem that can be solved by technical solutions. If this makes the security lines move a little bit faster, you know, I, I think it's not a terrible thing, but there has to be safeguards built in to protect the privacy of the citizens. It's a... Uh, you know, it's not an altogether crazy thing, in my mind. Well, the TSA claims they will not be using this facial recognition for law enforcement purposes. So I guess you can breathe a sigh of relief if you believe them. They also say they'll minimize holding on to the face data, so uh, they won't be using the scans to build out a new national database of face IDs. But again, do you believe them, or do you believe that they won't lose the data and uh, it will pop up someplace else? Well, first, CSA is not a law enforcement agency in the in the sense that they uh, you know investigate crimes and things like that. You know, they're, they're airport security, right? And maybe they could say there's some sort of executive branch agency. But, you know, it's another argument for another day. Uh, so TSA can say, sure, we're not going to use this for law enforcement purposes, but they really don't have a say as to whether any other law enforcement agency would want to use that information for law enforcement purposes. Exactly. All it takes is some kind of legal process or a subpoena to be uh, sent to them, and they will have to turn that information over to a law enforcement agency that will use it for law enforcement purposes. So, yeah, in information yeah, sharing is established, right, Alex? I mean, it, it is. I mean, it's a, it absolutely can be used for law enforcement purposes. And if a face does not match an ID, 
and there is somebody fraudulently trying to enter an airport on somebody else's ID, then I would suspect that law enforcement would be called, and they would use that evidence as uh, for law enforcement purposes. Yeah, can you imagine so how that conversation would go? Uh, there's somebody here traveling on a fake ID. They call law enforcement. Law enforcement says, let's see the evidence, and TSA says, oh, we can't show it to law enforcement. No, that's not going to happen. Obviously, they're going to share it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's I can't stand statements like that from federal agencies when they, it, I feel like that's deliberately misleading. Well, good on you for like for catching that in, in, in your 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 legal uh, um, um, strategy there, because that is exactly how they fool people by saying things like that. So yeah, it's um, a little ridiculous. Anyway, that's what's going on in the airports. Uh, we mentioned San Francisco uh, banning uh, facial ID, and and of course people don't have to do this. Uh, in um, uh, for domestic flights, it is um, uh, just an option right now. I'm sure it'll become mandatory at some point. But San Francisco has also banned something else. They've banned killer police robots. Or at least they've decided that right now it's not a great idea. There, you might have heard a bit of um, um, uh, coverage of this over the last few weeks, where it was somebody's bright idea to say, yeah, we're going to have uh, these robots and we're going to give them the power uh, to kill people if it saves other lives. There's no good way of saying that, and obviously the idea of, um, of a bunch of robots going around killing people, whether it's their decision or somebody programming them, uh, it's every science fiction nightmare come true, and um, it just didn't play well. Uh, so uh, it's an abrupt reversal amid public outcry, quite predictable on all counts. Uh, San Francisco's Board of Supervisors has temporarily changed its decision to permit the city's police department to kill people with robots. This, that's probably the silliest sentence I've ever read, but it's, it's 100% true. Uh, there have been more killings at the hands of police than any other year on record nationwide, said District Supervisor Dean Preston in a statement. We should be working on ways to decrease the use of force by law, uh, local law enforcement, not giving them new tools to kill people. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, that sounds reasonable. Uh, last week, the board voted 8-3 to three to approve a slate of policies regarding the uh, San Francisco Police Department's use of military-grade equipment, including using bomb disposal robots to kill people like the Dallas police did in 2016 with a cornered shooting suspect. Um, initially, the board did not want to include language allowing the police to kill people with robots, but the San Francisco Police Department really, really wanted it, so they amended the language to explicitly allow it. That, you got to wonder about these people, you know? <laughs> they had to have that. Wow. It's not uh, clear precisely why the board changed its vote over the course of a week. Really? Really? <laughs> you, you don't know why they, 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 they changed their mind in the wake of all this universal bad publicity. Um, this story comes from Vice, and I think they know why. Uh, public outcry on the local, national, international level has played a major part. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Uh, the board's vote was highly criticized by news outlets from around the world and from local privacy and civil rights groups that had already organized around another board of supervisors' vote to permit the San Francisco Police Department to access live video surveillance of private cameras. On Monday, the Electronic Frontier Foundation and 44 community groups signed a letter opposing the policy, which argued there is no basis to believe that robots toting explosives might be an exception to police overuse of deadly force. Using robots that are designed to disarm bombs to instead deliver them is a perfect example of this pattern of escalation and of the militarization of the police force that concerns so many across the city. It concerns so many across the country, because militarization of police forces 
has become one of the one of the biggest threats to our our, our lives. Uh, you know, tanks and and armored vehicles and all sorts of uh, and all the uh, mentality. Weaponry. Yeah, the mentality that like, comes with all that. You're, you're in Afghanistan or something. You're in some kind of a war where you know the the, the people that you're serving somehow are the enemy, and um, if if they make a single motion that you don't like, you can end them. No, that's not right. That's not what local police are supposed to be, and we need to we need to. Go back on that big time. Reassess it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Reevaluate priorities with policing wholesale and, you know, bolster what there is, but with, you know, intelligence and, and coordination and, and resources other than just hardware, <laughs> dropping it on, on, on these places that, with no, no culture, no uh, other things to sort of augment change and create a safer uh, community. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, and uh, above and beyond the issue of should the police be killing people with robots, because I I don't think they should. I think they kill far too many people with the toys they have. They don't need more. But uh, also, right now, where we are in our technological uh, context, robots still aren't always very good. I can't get Alexa to always play the song I want. Uh, We have robot cars crashing into walls, and I don't want to be at the mercy of a police robot that, uh, you know, decides to glitch at some point and uh, go to the killing subroutines. Speaking of robots, we're going to talk about Elon Musk in just a moment uh, concerning what's been going on with Twitter. Um, But um, I I wanted to ask Alex, I know you have to to go pretty soon uh, because it's very, very late over there. in uh, traveling, in entering a foreign country, in entering Israel in particular, uh, have there been any COVID-19 um, steps that you had to take or tests that you had to pass? Is he asleep? He's not moving. I think he might. I think he might be frozen. Is that like being asleep, or uh, Alex, wake <laughs> up? Like, he's just—he's just there. He's got glasses on, so I can't see if he's blinking. I think I think his connection might have froze. Okay, can we uh, reestablish the connection, or I, I will attempt. I, 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 it shouldn't end like this. Okay, we're trying to get Alex back. I do want to know if there are any um, COVID nineteen um, uh, restrictions, or um, is that him? That's his picture. Okay. Well, in any event, let me just say that um, um, COVID nineteen is still a thing. You might not know it from uh, what you hear in the media these days. Because, you know, it's flu season as well, and all kinds of other things are going on. It is still something to take seriously. If you've gotten your booster, great. You're in good shape, and, um, and, and you can consider yourself somewhat protected and doing everything that you can to, um, to stay safe. Um, I'm also proud that WBAI is um, basically embracing science and um, logic and encouraging people to get that booster. Not, not enough people have gotten the booster. If more people got the booster, there would be less deaths every day, and there's still many, many deaths every day from COVID-19. So please, don't listen to people that tell you otherwise. In fact, don't listen to people on the radio who tell you what to do regarding vaccines. No, I mean, that includes me. Don't listen to me. Listen to the medical community. Listen to the scientific community. If you hear somebody on the radio saying that uh, COVID-19 vaccines are hazardous, they're either lying, they're either stupid, or they are just completely wrong. So, by all means, investigate, but listen to the people who know what they're talking about. I can only advise you to do that. I'm not a scientist. 
and you should not just take my word for it, but if you actually pay attention to the people who know what they're talking about, who have um, devoted their lives to this sort of thing, um, it's clear. And there's just been so much um, idiocy out there on all sides, too. I see this on the left as well as on the right of people saying that it's some kind of conspiracy. It's nuts, because <laughs> for it to be a conspiracy, you would have to have the entire world involved. It's, I, I'm not even going to get into that, because... You know, like 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 many of these um, elaborate conspiracy theories, it just uh, it boggles the mind how how people believe that we could pull something like that off. That anybody can. And and the final thing I'll say about this is that you know we get accused of uh, of, of towing the line of doing what the government tells us to do. Look, <laughs> you can agree with people you don't trust on certain things. You can agree that the sky is blue. You can agree that the earth is round. At least most of us can. Okay? And if you come to the same conclusion based on the evidence that you have in front of you, it doesn't mean that you're working for them. It doesn't mean that you agree with them on anything else. It means that you reached a conclusion based on the evidence. And that's all we can ask people to do. And um, consider where, where the evidence you look at comes from. And consider the evidence that the people that are uh, disparaging uh, what has been found by by experts and and uh, health specialists. Mm-hmm. Consider their motives. Consider what what they're reading and why they're saying what they're saying. It's it's disgusting what I'm saying. I, you know, Elon Musk is one of these people now because did, did you, you see what he he tweeted a few days ago? Uh, I assume we're not getting Alex back. No, I'm afraid. We are not. Like he is uh, left for the evening. I think he hung up on us. I think he hung up on us and, and went to bed. That's what I think happened. We'll, we'll address this next week. Um, basically, Elon Musk said his pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci. Now, first of all, you big moron, those aren't pronouns. That's not how pronouns work. You even understand what a pronoun is. You know, before we even get into the the ignorance of the statement itself, you prosecute a scientist, somebody who is basically presenting the scientific facts so that people can stay alive. Uh, and, yeah, it was unpleasant. We all know it was unpleasant. We all, we're still doing remote shows as a result of COVID-19. You think that um, uh, Dr. Fauci is, is sitting in a corner somewhere, rubbing his hands with glee, saying, yes, everyone played into my, 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 my evil plot. And what, what exactly is the end game here? It, it makes no sense. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. And it literally is killing people when you make this into something that is an actual talking point. So by, by, by claiming that somehow every time somebody dies, it's because of the vaccine. I've seen this happen. I've seen locally where, you know, suicides, you know, of, of kids are being misreported by people with an agenda to say, oh, it's because of the vaccine. And it's disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. I, I think... Died suddenly is a trending uh, topic on Twitter right now, and when you click on that, you just get all these um, uh, uh, stories, and they, that's what they are—they're fables of people who have died because they were vaccinated, not because of the actual reason they died. And what that does, it it, it sows mistrust and makes people not get the booster or the vaccine, and then you have more sickness, more death. And for what purpose? Why are we doing this? Why is this happening? Yeah, it's, what do you get when you prosecute, prosecute Fauci? What, what exactly is the atonement? What will he atone for? It's a, what, it's will, a what, political, will fix, what will that fix? It's a political uh, uh, strike, you know, because, because 
someone prosecuted Trump. Now you got to prosecute the other people, even though the other people were making sense all along. Alex, are you back? Well, he looks like he's frozen. He's yeah. there. Oh, and you want to ask him? Well, I, I wanted to ask you a while ago. But now I, I think we woke we him up. We but maybe you should a, just a, a tirade here uh, about uh, COVID-19 steps that you had to take to get into Israel. Oh, I didn't have to take any COVID-19 steps to get into Israel. And I, I, I'm back. I lost, uh, I lost connectivity there for a bit, but... Uh, it's okay. I went on a tirade, and uh, now I've returned from it. Um, so I, I guess you know, unless you have something to add to that particular subject, um, you can you can say your good nights at this point. Yeah, I'd, uh, that's basically what I wanted to come back on and say. With this, uh, it is time for me to go to bed. I have to be up in a couple of hours. And if you have anything and, to say uh, about Elon Musk, this is the time to say it. Oh, I. I <sighs> and and we're on radio. Just remember, we're on radio, so there's yeah, a bunch of words you can't use. There aren't enough hours before I have my first meeting to get off my chest what I would like to say about Elon Musk, but um, yeah, yeah, Twitter is just a dumpster fire. The, the COVID issues that you brought up are a perfect example of this uh, logical fallacy, post hoc ergo propter hoc, you know, after something, therefore, in account of it, just because somebody had the vaccine and then either became ill doesn't mean it was because of the vaccine. It's a mistake of causation. It's it's lunacy. It's idiocy. Um, and uh, I will leave you guys with that. I can't wait to see you and, uh, and get back to New York next week. So um, as we say in uh, Tel Aviv, I will just say to everybody, Lila Tov. Okay, we assume that's what people do say over there. Um, bring yep. us back something. Take a picture of a payphone or whatever. I don't know what that means. You got it. Can you say Shalom. Shalom. That's, that's, that's a that. greeting and shalom. a goodbye. I think yeah. that works. Yeah. Shalom. Yep. And Lila Tov is good night. So oh. Oh, there good you night, go. everybody from, uh, from Tel Aviv. I'll uh, see you all next week. All right. I think. And good night to Alex yeah. there. Now, uh, moving on to uh, what's been happening over at Twitter. Yeah. Uh, from this NPR story, uh, Elon Musk is using the Twitter files to discredit foes and push conspiracy theories. Pulling back the curtain, is what he says, on how the social network has handled high-profile content moderation decisions, uh, including banning then-President Donald Trump after his supporters attacked the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, so basically, um, what he has been doing is releasing internal documents to a hand-picked group of quote-unquote journalists uh, who are digging through them and posting excerpts on Twitter. Um, Musk and his allies promote these tweet threads, dubbed the Twitter Files, as bombshell revelations proving that Twitter intentionally muzzled conservatives because of their political views. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. It's like he wasn't paying attention. You know, uh, uh, Trump basically led the, um, uh, the invasion of the Capitol on January 6th, and shortly afterwards, he was thrown off of Twitter. And the big reveal here is that they intentionally threw him off Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it was intentional, and it was for a good reason. And now... Elon Musk has invited him right back on. It's it's absolutely awful, and um, you know we're seeing the the um, we're seeing the change already. We're seeing a rise in hate speech. We're seeing a rise in harassment. We're seeing a, a rise in overall ignorance. Um, and and you know I saw these uh, these Twitter files going around a couple of weeks ago. Um, as I mentioned, he gave uh, exclusive access to a small group of independent journalists. Uh, including uh, Matt Taibbi of uh, Rolling Stone, Barry Weiss, former New York Times uh, opinion columnist. Um, they're not sharing it. They're not sharing the documents. They're posting. They're they're posting select things, but uh, you can't look at them yourself. 
And also, what they are posting is highly misleading. And I'm really surprised anyone would call themselves a journalist and do something like this. For instance, saying that um, uh, Joe Biden was trying to get things taken off the um, um, uh, taken off Twitter. Uh, yeah, that's accurate. It makes it sound a whole lot more evil, but uh, they don't mention that it was pornographic material, you know, involving his son. Little details like that. Just it's 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 put out there to get a desired effect. So you can twist words and, and, and post selected examples of something to make it seem like the conclusion you've already reached is happening. The way to actually do this, let's look at all the documentation. Let's decide for ourselves. Let's see what was going on there. I, so far, from what I've heard, many, many different uh, reporters, there's no real story here. You know, and on Fox, of course, you'll see the headline being that mass media is ignoring the story. No, there's not much of a story. That's why you're not seeing it in the mass media. This is what they call a nothing burger. So, I don't know. Rob, any any thoughts? I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's really been amazing watching him take this uh, this turn and uh, do it all under the name of, like, oh, free speech. We want free speech on this platform um, while he's still suspending things which are inconvenient for him. There was a bot account that uh, tweeted where his uh, private planes were taking off and landing from, and uh, long ago he he sort of shook his head and said, well, I guess they're allowed to do that, and um, only recently he uh, he suspended that account. Um, they moved to Mastodon. Um, and it's, it's, just been, it's just been amazing watching him basically go full nutcase and um, side with the people who are spreading uh, all sorts of uh, conspiracy theories and all sorts of misinformation. Um, Twitter, uh, since the end of last month, has stopped enforcing its policy against COVID misinformation oh, great. Um, under Elon Musk. So, you know, that's that that's fun. Um He's he's basically running it running it into the ground. I think, from my point of view, as someone who has enjoyed Twitter for a long time, has uh, counted it as I've counted it as like a main part of my social media for a long time, and uh, it's pretty much everything that I liked about the site um, is is taking a turn for the crappy, and it, it's by direct result of decisions he's making. You know, there's a really naive way you can look at the concept of free speech. You know, um, obviously there are uh, things that if you say and if you spread can cause tremendous harm. And that's why you're seeing uh, outlets like Facebook and formerly Twitter uh, do content moderation to a degree. So that if somebody said something that is liable to cause massive harm, they put a restriction on there, and, and I supported that when that happened because it was based on actual facts. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't take away your right to say something, but a company can say, yeah, you're not going to say it here on our private servers because we do run them. Also, if you say something that is um, uh, false and, and leads to all kinds of bad things, yeah, you have the right to say it, but um, society has the right to act against that, you know, consequences for your actions, for saying things that aren't true. 
for, for causing a panic, for spreading lies, for defaming innocent people. I think it's called slander. Yeah, all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, you know, you could say all, all speech should be allowed. Everybody should say all, all thoughts are equal. First of all, they're not. <laughs> there's ignorant people and there's informed people. And when you treat them all with the same amount of, um, of access and, and uh, everybody hears everybody, there's a, a huge signal-to-noise ratio that you're going to be dealing with. And uh, it's just naive to say that um, it's all going to sort itself out. No, it never does. Yes, Rob? Absolutely. Um, Gila, actually, there's an expression that uh, she taught me, um, which is that your right to swing your fist ends at my face. Like, you, you can't just haul off and punch somebody. You can swing your arms around all you like, but the instant you're doing direct harm to someone, uh, you've, you've, you've uh, transgressed. Can I, the, can uh, I say, in my case, I, I say four inches from my face. I don't want somebody swinging their fist yeah. four inches from my face either. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm claiming that territory. It's territorial space. <laughs> uh-huh. I'll remember that next time we get to hang out in person. So, uh, yeah, please. It's a problem. <laughs> it really is. Uh, so, um, Jack Dorsey, a former uh, CEO of Twitter, um, has, has weighed in on all this. Um, he, um, he basically said the company made errors in how it approached content moderation, which, yeah, I think we all can agree they made errors. He said, I continue to believe there was no ill intent or hidden agendas, and everyone acted according to the best information we had at the time. Of course, mistakes were made. He said, though, he wished these internal files that are being spread around now had been released WikiLeaks style. I'm sorry, I I misspoke. The the internal files are not being spread around. The um, hand-picked reporters, uh, their interpretation of them is what's being spread around. So it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's like Pravda or something like that. It's uh, like screen grabs and sh- yeah, and and, and without context, Twitter it's, threads it's, it's meaningless. But he says he wished they had been released WikiLeaks style, with many more eyes and interpretations to consider. There's nothing to hide, only a lot to learn from. And boy, I sure wish Jack Dorsey was running the show because uh, he at least has a clue. <laughs> you know, and what we're seeing right now is just—it's awful. It's terrible. It's mayhem. It's um, it's just bad. And it's not like. You know, all the conspiracy theory people didn't have a place to go already. There's all, you know, the, the flavor of the week with the Trump social media sites, you know, Truth Social or, or whatever the other ones were. But now it's all a big mess. But I do, you know, I have to take exception, Rob, to all the people who are uh, fleeing to Mastodon. I mean, it's great to have Mastodon, but I think leaving when things get bad, that's what we, um, um, we criticize people who leave the country when things got bad you know, for doing. I think we have to stay and fight. I think we have to basically challenge everything. I think we have to make it as difficult as possible for this particular environment to um, uh, turn into the cesspool that apparently Elon Musk wants. Yeah, I want their reporting system just glowing red, like molten red, like with with uh, people's uh, uh, commitment to, to flagging stuff that, that bugs them. Yeah. I mean... It's just such a waste of drive space and energy to allow half this stuff. The discourse doesn't get any better. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you know, set up a Mastodon account somewhere. It, it is a high learning curve, but, um, you know, I think if we help people, and, and, and that's, I mentioned this before, it's disturbing when, when uh, uh, people talk down to those who don't get it right, right away. Not everyone's going to get it right away, and when you do that, you drive them away, period, and they don't come back. So if, if Mastodon is the thing that people are going to be using, let's make it easy. Let's make it welcoming. And uh, let's, um, let's, let's, you know, try it out. Let's um, try and break it. 
and, and see what happens and make it better. Go ahead, Rob. Absolutely. There's, there's been a lot of discourse about this very thing, as, as you might imagine, on Mastodon and on Twitter, where, uh, you know, it, are you are you sort of letting the side down if you leave Twitter? Um, and I think uh, there is no easy answer to that. There's no answer that applies to everybody. So uh, there, there's there been a lot of uh, sort of people getting uh, all excited about it and people uh, sort of talking down to other people for leaving or for not leaving. And uh, we all have to make our own decisions with this. And I personally think as long as some of it uh, starts being, you know, it continues to be fun enough to um, still use, continues to be useful, um, there's value in staying. But also if it puts you in a position where you're put at increased risk um, because there's been so much more uh, – uh, homophobia, transphobia, anti-Semitism, racism, um, all people of all sorts of marginalized groups are finding themselves much less welcome on the platform mm -hmm. than they have been. And if your, if your Twitter experience is, you know, more misery than it is fun, I, I think there's no shame in going. No, of course but, not. Yeah, um, you have to look out for yourself. But if, if you want to fight, you know, or if you want to bring other people in to fight for, for justice, by all means, don't be intimidated into not doing that if if you're up for the fight. Because I, I, I do believe challenging these things is the answer. I, I think Rob's latter point is totally like the preponderance of, of uh, the risk. I mean, it's a really, mm -hmm. it's a serious calculation because it's becoming outright dangerous to be yourself there um, and, and will probably not get better. So, But I do believe in what you're saying that mm -hmm. knowing the risks, people should be all in. And, you know... Be someone else then. Yeah. Cre create a persona. Be Re that person. You Re don't have to give your real information anyway. Reserve the right to confuse service. But have that, have that fictitious persona fight for the things you believe in as well. And uh, who knows? They may become an influencer on Twitter, which is everyone's dream. Wow. Um, all right. We're in our last minute here. I, 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 on the subject of uh, Macedon, I understand our, our Macedon account was suspended. Do we know why that happened? Uh, we're looking into it. Uh, we are a hacker radio show at mastodon.social, and uh, the admins over there seem to have uh, hidden our account, and uh, so we're looking into why <laughs> this, that is. This is exactly <laughs> it. You know, things like yeah. this will happen no matter where you go, but uh, okay, well, we're going to make it public when it does, so uh, was it mastodon.social? That's, that's that one? Okay, mm -hmm. so those folks, whoever they are, and, and, and you know, not that these people are jerks, but what's to stop jerks from running a Mastodon instance? And causing all kinds of problems for their users. How does the how does the community fight back against that? Because it but, will but happen at some point. But the joy of Mastodon versus Twitter is if if you come up against admins who are behaving unfairly, you could always go to another instance. Your experience of Mastodon as a greater thing um, is not beholden to the attitude of just one person, as the Twitter is now. All right. Well, please remind them that uh, they're no match for our sysops. Sysops? That's how you say it? I mean, sysops. No, you said sysops. I mean, add... add wow, uh, I thought I knew you. No, man. Sysops? Oh, boy, we're going to talk no, after I can the explain. show. No, honest, no. honest, I can. No, it was a... It's been said, Kyle. It's been said. All right, we are out of time. Please write to us, oth at 2600.com. We'd love to hear from you. Again, no overtime this week because we are on deadline. But next week, hopefully, and next week we'll be back for another exciting edition of Off the Hook here on WBAI. Please support WBAI. Give a call to 212-209-2950 or visit give2wbai.org and pledge whatever you can afford because this is real, true bastion of free speech. 
where all kinds of voices are heard, debated, and um, uh, learned from. And uh, we're, we're proud to be a part of it. We'll see you next week. It's an honor. Please support, and uh, we'll be here forever if, if you can, can contribute anything, any amount. Good night. <laughs> Everybody welcome. One, two, stupid. Three, four, dumb. Five, six, idiotic. Seven, eight, seek me safe. Very stupid. Very stupid. Very stupid. Very stupid. I like Concord. And 180G. that we need to make in order to beat back the other side. No one is going to do it for us. Even a few dollars a month helps to keep us on the air. Let's face it. Without Pacifica, what do you have? NPR is two milk toes. PBS, two milk toes. Without Pacifica, we're dead in the water. And that pledge line is 212-209-2950. 212-209-2950. And we're only asking those who can give it. 
those who can afford it, we know that there's some people out there who cannot afford it, and that's one of the problems. Those of us who relatively have must stand up for those who have not. I'm sick and tired of hearing people complain about, well, you know, the right wing has Fox News and, and they have this and they have that. The oppressor always has more money than the oppressed. We have to make use of the resources that we have. We have people and we have people that can make contributions. Here on WBAI 99.5 FM, we want to have the power fund strong and healthy so we're not worried about it. 212-209-2950 or you can go online at WBAI.org and donate to the power fund. 